different parts of the Bible. So while we're looking that up, Hebrews chapter 11, and we'll also be in Genesis 5, and in Jude. So while you're looking that up, and this is drawing, I'll uh, ask a question, I'm just thinking of it, to tie in with, is that too close? No. Is that better? You're fine. No. I don't want to blast you off the... <laughs> oh, I'm going to put this question. How many men in the Old Testament walked with God? Anybody know? One. We're going to be talking about one, at least one this morning, about... Anyway, that walk with God. Okay, have you seen Enoch? Enoch. 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 No, you have to uh, look at your Bible very carefully, closely, and you'll find there's only the two. That's Enoch and Noah that walked with God. And some people will say, well, Adam walked with God, but Genesis 3.8 does not tell you that. If you look it up, God came to them in the cool of the night, right, to chat with them. But they had sinned, of course. And, but nowhere in Genesis and Adam's like this to say that he walked with God. Nor anyone else. David, Abraham, they walked, most of them walked before God, not with God. There is a difference, and we'll explain what the difference is this morning. How's that? Okay, the man who walked with God. So our first scripture this morning is Hebrews chapter 11. Oops. I'll read verses 4. The seven. And I'll read that from the New King James version this morning. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of Abel's gifts, and through it he being dead still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death, and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. This is the reading of God's word and God always blesses his reading. And we ask him to be with us here this morning in spirit and in truth and that we will open our hearts to his word. <coughs> After the writer of Hebrews defines the many facets of faith in the opening verses of this chapter 11, 
He goes on to show us some of the faces of faith. And they are snapshots taken from the Old Testament of great believers who found grace in the sight of God, demonstrated faith to trust and obey God, and kept a close fellowship with Him. And we as Christians are chosen and called upon in the same way in this New Testament age. We are saved by the grace of God which provides faith in God to love, trust, and obey the revelation God has given in the living Word of God, Jesus Christ, and the written Word of God, the Bible. Salvation comes by faith, not works, but faith does work. And following Jesus and obeying Scripture is hard work when it's done faithfully. This century and this past has its own set of challenges for us. And we Gentile Christians need Hebrews too. And we need the encouragement of the Holy Spirit and the truth of Holy Scripture and the examples of believers who have gone on before us. The aim of this chapter is to convince Hebrews the Jews to whom this letter is written, that faith is the only way to approach God. They had for generations been taught a corrupted form of Judaism that had come to the conclusion that you gain your salvation by effort, by ceremony, by works, by your morality. And the writer of Hebrews is reminding the readers most of whom would be believers who need to know that they can rest completely on their faith for salvation. And some others who are associated with these believers who know the gospel and haven't yet embraced Christ. And so to them, it is a, excuse me, a call to faith. At the end of chapter 10, verse 38, is a passage taken from the Old Testament, the familiar words of Habakkuk, Chapter 2, verse 4, My righteous ones shall live by faith. Or, some translations, the just shall live by faith. The writer of Hebrews, who was unknown to us, goes all the way back to Abel to demonstrate that salvation by faith is not something new. Abel showed us that one enters the life of faith by recognition of sin and the admission that you need a sacrifice for your sin. And that was the testimony of Abel when he offered a blood sacrifice on the altar before God, as God had instructed him to do. And so the first example of faith is Abel, the son of Adam and Eve, who demonstrated that he would come to God by faith, not by works, but by confessing his own sin and realizing that he was unworthy and needed a sacrifice before he could approach God. The second example, then, is Enoch. If Abel tells us how you enter the life of faith, Enoch tells you how you live the life of faith, or how you walk by faith. And now to get to the story of Enoch, we need to go back to the book of Genesis, 
where we find the whole human race is divided into two great streams. One is moving on toward God's glory, and the other is marching out to darkness and doom. And we see this fact represented in the Bible as early as Genesis chapter 4. Two men are at worship, and from their acts of worship, great issues will result. One is offering true worship, and the other is offering false worship. Two families are emerging, Cain the murderer, and his descendants are traced to Genesis, in Genesis chapter 4, to the seventh generation beyond Adam, climaxing in a man called Lamech, verse 18. He was a violent, arrogant man, arrogant, and a bigamist, who led that family line in rebellion against God. The Canaanite society was godless, not Canaanite, Canaanite. It was advanced in culture, science, and technology, but it was earthbound, materialistic, and anti-God. Abel, Adam and Eve's second son, was murdered by Cain, but God provided them with another son, Seth, to take his place. And Seth's line, according to chapter 4, verse 26, were true followers of God. They were known for proclaiming the name of the Lord. And now we come to the beginning of Enoch's story. He's mentioned in the record of Genesis 5, the chapter that traces the righteous descendants of Adam from Seth all the way to Noah. And this was an evil time, and men simply forgot about God and left God out of their lives. And that's important for us to remember. In verses 21 to 24 of Genesis 5, we read, Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. In fewer than 50 words, the entire Old Testament account of Enoch's life is complete. The Bible tells us nothing about his early years. And all we know is that at the age of 65, he became the father of a child, which he named Methuselah. After that child was born, we are told that Enoch walked with God for the next 300 years of his life. So what was it about this child that caused Enoch to come to faith in God? Well, it may have something to do with his name. The name Methuselah means, when he is gone, it will come. It was a God-given name for a God-given prophecy. What God was saying in the name of Methuselah was that he wouldn't die until judgment came. Methuselah lived more years than anybody on earth. Genesis 5 verse 27 tells us, and all the days of Methuselah were 969 years. In the name of Methuselah, you have a prophecy that judgment is coming. 
But you see the grace of God in the fact that Methuselah lived longer than anybody else, and so God's warning extended for all 969 years, well into the lifetime of his grandfather, Noah. So what was the judgment? In the year that Methuselah died, the flood came. God let him live longer than anybody else in order that the message of warning against judgment might come, a gracious thing on God's part, and when he died, the flood came. Enoch was made to understand that the death of his son would signal the destruction of the world. And in the year of his son's death, the world was destroyed. God used the birth of that child to open the heart of Enoch, and God used it to save that man's soul. It would appear that Enoch came to God under the threat of judgment. And God uses many events in life to touch people's hearts, to bring them to Jesus. Enoch chose to walk a different road than most people in his time. So what can we learn from this man's life so that we can follow his example? Well, first, Enoch walked with God. Now, to walk with God is another way to say that Enoch pleased God. The writer of Hebrews wrote that Enoch had this testimony that he pleased God in Hebrews 11.5. Because Enoch sought to be pleasing to God, God was well pleased to be in fellowship with him. And the phrase Enoch walked with God means that he was a man of faith in an age when most people had no faith. While others were thinking only about this life, making money and hoarding up material things, thinking only of things of this world, Enoch lived his life with God, with a conscious presence of God. He practiced the presence of God. He had an inner communion with God. The word walk in the biblical expression is the biblical expression for fellowship and obedience that results in divine favor. It refers to a manner of life that results in a person living in the nearness to the Lord. Enoch had this kind of walk with God. It's the kind of walk Amos refers to in Amos 3, verse 3. Can two walk together unless they are agreed? It is a walk of dedication and devotion. It is a walk in which Enoch lives up to his name. The name Enoch means dedicated. And that is the kind of walk we all need today. We should live a visible Christian life. We should walk consistently with the Lord. And this is the kind of life that pleases him. And the New Testament often calls it walking in the Spirit. In 1 John chapter 4, we're told to walk in truth. In Romans 13, verse 13, we are told to walk in honesty. 
In Ephesians 5 verse 2, we're told to walk in love. In Ephesians 5 verse 8, we are told to walk in light. In Ephesians 5 verse 15, we are told to walk in wisdom. And in Ephesians 2 verse 10, we are to walk in holiness. This is the worthy walk of Ephesians 4 verse 1. This is sweet communion with God. And we have a pattern for that, and that's none other than our Lord Jesus. In 1 John 2 verse 6, He who says he abides in Jesus ought himself also to walk just as he walked. And Jesus walked in perfect communion with his Father. And this is our faith walk. And Enoch was a model for this. Now there is something else to be said about Enoch. He was a prophet as well as a preacher. The Apostle Jude gives us a glimpse into the content of Enoch's prophecy and preaching. And we're looking at verses 14 and 15 of Jude. And Jude has been writing about false teachers, false prophets who were all over the place in Enoch's day. Those who had gone the way of Cain, verse 11, by advocating wickedness, immorality, and rebellion against God. And he says in verses 14 and 15, Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against the Lord. Enoch proclaimed the second coming of Christ, verse 14. And Enoch proclaimed judgment on false teachers in verse 15. And if you notice, in one sentence, he used ungodly four times. <clears throat> For 300 years, this was the theme of Enoch's prophetic message. He faithfully warned the world about the coming wrath of God. And even though he would never see that judgment himself, he boldly proclaimed it nonetheless. That's God's thunder, by the way. He's keeping us awake. And he often spoke some thunder. Three generations later, Enoch's great-grandson Noah took up the same mantle. And that's in 2 Peter 2, verse 5. Genesis 6 verse 9 says that Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. And Hebrews 11 verse 7 says, By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his household. And when the first raindrops began to fall and the floodwaters started to rise, no one could claim that they had not been repeatedly forewarned. Noah would have been talking to Methuselah, and Methuselah would have been telling him <clears throat> about what Enoch preached about and prophesied, and he believed it. it. Took him 120 years to build that ark. 120 years. 
It was as big as a football field. And the people there ridiculed him day and night. Why are you building an ark? It hasn't rained here, never rained. And it didn't rain in, at that time. The water came up from the earth in the mist. The world was completely different at that time. And I guess that's one of the reasons why people live 900 some odd years, a lot of them. But he, Methuselah would have told Noah about all the preaching that Enoch had done. And so he didn't care that people did what they did. He did what God asked them to do. And it was hard life, can you imagine? For 300 years, Enoch had to put up with people. Hard, hard life. And also Noah. So Enoch's prophecy had a kind of fulfillment in the judgment of the flood. For that judgment was a judgment on ungodly men. But it has its complete and final judgment, fulfillment, according to the context of Jude, in the second coming of Christ to earth. During his life, Enoch was characterized by an intimate fellowship with God, personal integrity, and faithful preaching. But it is his dramatic death-free exit that sets Enoch apart. And finally, in Genesis 5, verse 24, we read, And he was not, and God took him. <clears throat> took him where? God took him home to heaven. And this is the first intimation in the Bible of immortality. It is reported in Hebrews 11:5 By faith Enoch was translated, that is, taken up, so that he did not see... He did not get a glimpse of death and was not found because he had taken him. That is an incredible statement. One day during his 365th year, Enoch suddenly disappeared. He vanished from this earth without a trace. He took a walk with God and he never came back. No doubt people looked for him and perhaps they put on all points bulletin with his description looking for him. But he was never found because God took him. He never had to experience death. He, and later, a few centuries later, Elijah was tra translated and taken up into the presence of God as well. Significantly, Enoch's incredible taken up to heaven, prefigured the rapture event that believers will experience when Christ comes for his bride, the church. And at that time, all the saved will be miraculously taken up to meet their Savior in the air and then escorted to him or by him in heaven or to heaven. As Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16 to 18, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. Amazingly, at the rapture of the church, 
there will be a whole generation of Enoch's. Those who will not taste death because they are snatched away by God. Will it happen in our generation? It's going to happen in someone's generation. All these Enoch's. <coughs> will not taste death because they are snatched away by God. In that moment, in the twinkling of an eye, they will hear the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and they will receive their resurrection bodies. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 52. And like Enoch, that generation will not die, but disappear from the earth before God's judgment is unleashed. So examining the life of Noah helps us to view our relationship with God as walking with him and what pleases God. It is a daily walk. It is a walk of faith. It is a persevering walk. It is a walk that tells people what's on God's mind. And also we see that we have to, that what we have to look forward to is the coming of our Lord Jesus to judge the ungodly but more importantly, to take us to be with him forever. Now, what shall we say of this? Ask yourself, am I walking with God today? Am I the type of person who will walk with God in spite of what people around me are doing? Am I the type of person willing to walk strictly by faith in God's promises and diligently seek his presence each day? Am I the type of person who treasures fellowship with God to be my greatest treasure? Am I the type of person who will be faithful to God's message no matter the personal cost to me? As Christians, we possess the same hope that Enoch had. And though we may die, the sting of death has been removed, replaced by the hope of resurrection life. For us to be absent from the body is to be instantly and eternally present with the Lord. You find that in 2 Corinthians 5, 8 and Philippians 1, 21. 1, verse 21. Enoch's walk with God did not end when he stepped into heaven it became perfect, and so will yours. For eternity, we will enjoy glorious fellowship with our Lord and Savior as we worship and serve him in the infinite wonder of his matchless presence. So we pray. Father, we may only have three score and ten years in this world. Some of us a lot less, some of us more. Some of us haven't come to even know you, to please you, to walk with you until later in life. So for whatever time we have, it may be said of us that he walked with God, wouldn't that be nice? May it be said that one could tell that they had been with Jesus. We have been with Jesus. And we thank you that you provide this 
communion, this fellowship for us. And help us, Heavenly Father, to enjoy the reality of your presence. And we ask all these things in Jesus' wonderful, precious name. Amen. Well, thank you for listening this morning and being here and bearing with me.